0: Today, the important facts that you need to know about long-term care planning. This is the 7 Figures Podcast. Smart money strategies for women with Sandy
1: Waters. 7 Figures is sponsored by Family First Credit Union. When it comes to financial education, earning and learning go hand in hand. And Family First is here to help you and the greater Rochester community with both.
0: Welcome to Seven Figures. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day to listen to the podcast and join our community of financially confident women. And if there is any podcast episode to take time and listen to, This is it. This is a very, very important episode and the perfect time to bring up this conversation too because May is Older Americans Month. So today we're talking about what you need to know, what you need to be doing right now for long-term care planning. And I don't know if you feel the same way I do, but I haven't really put much thought into this, to be honest with you. My husband and I are in our early 40s, so we're not really thinking about it. Uh, My parents are still fairly healthy. They seem like they have everything under control. I don't know what questions to ask. I don't know what lies ahead. And if you're like me, kind of oblivious to what the future might be like for us, because inevitably, chances are we are going to approach that day where we have to take on the responsibility of being a caregiver, taking care of our parents who are getting older or our spouse or ourselves. So joining the conversation today is elder law attorney at Harris beach, Lisa powers, no stranger to the podcast. Thank you for coming back in. Thanks for having
1: me again, Sandy.
0: Lori is here and Lloyd is on the phone with us. Now you both thank you for joining in on this conversation because I know experiencing what you guys both experienced, it's tough and it's tough to bring back all those memories to the surface. And Lloyd, it's still fresh for you. So I really appreciate
2: you being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: Lloyd, let's start with you, Um, because I know you were saying there's a lot of things that you are consciously making an effort to do a little bit differently, um, taking care of mom ever since your dad passed, right?
3: Yeah. So, uh, when my, my dad passed away in December, uh, and when he did, we thought that we had everything everything kind of tied up at that point. It had been a, a long last six months of his life trying to deal with uh, some of his assets and making sure that they were protected in the right way um, so that they could uh, provide for him uh, at the end of his life, uh, not necessarily anything for us. and. Uh, make sure that those assets were, were dealt with in, in the right way, in, in the way that he would have wanted uh, throughout his life and then at the end of his life as well. So that was that was a real interesting web going through all that stuff.
0: Did you get to a point where you had to decide where the best place for dad was, assisted living or nursing care? Was he living <laughs> yeah. at home? Yeah, with-
3: so, so in June, he had... Gotten a little bit too much to to where we could provide any care for him, um, and he ended up uh, in a nursing home. And then, uh, right beyond that, I relocated to the other side of the country. So, um, having all of that happen at once was uh, quite a burden.
0: Picking out that home. Lisa, this is where you come in. When we see our parents getting to a point where we're like, and it breaks your heart, right? And some some parents don't even want, they don't go willingly. No. How do no. you decide which place is the right place?
1: So you have a few options. Obviously, as families, you can go out on your own and do tours. They're marketing people for nursing homes, just like there are for the independent communities and assisted living facilities. Um, I frequently recommend that families engage the services of professionals who are known as geriatric care managers. It's not just local to us in Rochester, there are care managers across the country Um, and they really have a special focus in helping seniors in particular with these types of moves. Most of them are social workers or nurses by training and they've gone on and gotten specialized training. So they can really go and be independent advocates. You know, you're not just being sold a particular place because, oh, look at the beautiful gardens and the wonderful food. Mm -hmm. They can go in and represent the family, meet with the senior, do an assessment, and then say, okay, realistically, based on what we're seeing and talking to your doctors, don't waste your time looking at, for example, an assisted living. They're really at the point where they need nursing home level care. Or or vice versa, you know, you might think because there's been this crisis that you're absolutely headed towards the nursing home, but it may be that they just need some short-term rehab and they'll be able to step down. I mean, obviously none of us have a crystal ball, but they have more specialized knowledge. As an attorney, I'm not usually involved in that piece other than to talk to families about, um, when I can, reviewing an admissions agreement to make sure they're not just agreeing to everything under the sun in a time of great
0: Stress. Yeah, because you're right. You're not thinking straight when you're at this point. No. So what do we have to make sure that we're looking out for, that we're asking for? Is it that they are independent? You can certainly work with one who is employed by
1: an agency. So if you have a family member who's already getting services through a home care agency, they may have people on staff who are care managers. And there's nothing wrong with using them. It's just the idea that they obviously work for the company. They're loyalty is a little bit divided they care about their patients but they also report to an employer if you work with an independent care manager then their loyalty is to you you're cutting the paycheck to them
0: okay now paying for this service Mm -hmm. comes out of your pocket does Medicare Medicaid any of so
1: depending on what they're doing some of their services can be billed so um, I'll back up for example When you're determining whether someone needs to go to the nursing home, there is a screen that needs to be done. So the care managers who are licensed to provide that, that's a piece that typically can be billed to Medicare. Some of them, again, depending on the services they're providing, if you have long-term care insurance, those services can be billed to the long-term care insurance. But that's where you need, again, it's that one-on-one conversation with the care manager as to the unique situation, you know, what needs to be done. Starting point for most families is say, look, assume you're going to spend a few hundred dollars for that initial assessment, to have them come meet with you, talk to the family, see what does need to be done. Assume that's going to be out of pocket, but it's money well spent because okay. they really can strip away a lot of the fallacies and hopefully cut down on some of your own legwork if yeah. you're going to go, for example, visit places on your own.
0: Okay. And Medicare, just to differentiate yep. the two again, Medicare versus Medicaid. Right. So
1: for most people, we all become eligible for Medicare at a certain age if we've been working and paying into Social Security, right? Okay. So Medicaid is a poverty medical program that you have to qualify for. The biggest thing to remember is that Medicare pays for precious little long-term care, right? Medicare is typically going to be used to cover hospital expenses and some of your doctor's visits, If you find yourself in a nursing home, there are some limited rehab benefits that can be paid for via Medicare, but you have to have a qualifying hospital stay at least three nights. You have to have been an inpatient, not an observation. So you never want to assume that you're going to have Medicare coverage for a nursing home stay.
0: Is it tough to get? There are a lot of paperwork, a lot of? Well,
1: the problem is that depending on what you present with, you may or may not actually have those three nights as an inpatient in the hospital. Okay. Especially where we see it the most is with clients who have dementia issues. Something happens where there's an episode, it's not safe for them to be home, they get sent to the hospital, there's an evaluation done, but there really isn't anything wrong to the point where they need to be hospitalized. They're just not safe to go home. So the hospital may keep them in observation, give them medication try and find a safe discharge for them, but they're not an inpatient. So if so, so that it doesn't qualify. Doesn't qualify. Oh. Right. Okay. And so that that's one of those key questions. If the hospital tells you your loved one is being admitted, well admitted as an inpatient or admitted in observation? I mean I've been through this in my own family where I called and said, okay, you're telling me being admitted.
0: What status? Will they admit it? No, I want to know.
1: <laughs> is okay. it inpatient or is it observation?
0: Okay, so we're pulling up a notes in our phone or <laughs> writing all of this all this vocabulary we need to remember. Okay.
1: And uh, and it's awful because they sound so similar, right? Yeah. Medicare and Medicaid, mm-hmm. but they are two very different programs. Medicaid you have to qualify for.
0: Should we not even prepare for Medicaid? It's
1: something that I think Families need to examine because even if you don't want to go down that path, um, it's certainly a generational thing. I, you know, I've been practicing since the 90s, and when I first started practicing, most of my estate planning clients would say, I am never going on Medicaid. That is for poor people. I would never take advantage of the government. I've worked really hard. I've saved. My savings is for a rainy day. I'm private paying. But now our health care costs are so exorbitant that even families who maybe 5, 10 years ago thought they could private pay indefinitely are realizing that when they're writing a check to the nursing home of $150,000 a year, mm-hmm. their life savings doesn't last. Mm-hmm. It's not a question of wanting to go on Medicaid. It's a question of needing to go on Medicaid because the costs just outweigh your income and
2: assets.
0: So long-term care, and I don't know... Lori or Lloyd, if your parents bought into long-term care, did they? They did. They did. Did you find that? Mine did not. Did not. Okay, so now we have both sides of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. What do you advise, Lisa? Is long-term care something that we should all be looking at?
1: I think it's worth everyone um, examining whether it's appropriate for you or not. There are some very strong opinions out in the community. I know a number of attorneys who think it's a waste of money. I personally think if there's a way for you to find a substitute for using your own savings and to pay you qualify and the premiums don't cause you to change your lifestyle. you know, certainly you don't want a policy that you used to like to eat out every weekend. Oh, if we buy the long term care insurance, now we can't go out to dinner anymore. OK, maybe that's not such a good trade off. But if it doesn't affect your lifestyle and you can afford those premiums and qualify because the underwriting is getting tougher and tougher as the market changes, I think it's absolutely worth it. I don't have a license to sell it. I just refer to yeah. folks who do. Well, so I want to give that disclaimer. Sure. But it's um, it's one of those things. This is If anyone's writing any points down, this is something to keep in mind. If you have long-term care insurance and you're in one of those unfortunate situations where you're being discharged from the hospital – and you're looking at nursing homes, nursing homes know that long-term care insurance is guaranteed payment. Whereas even people who have savings, sometimes spouses, adult children, don't necessarily make the payments that they've agreed to pay. You
3: know, They oh. sign the admissions
1: agreement, but the nursing home ends up in a position where they have to actually go to a collections action to try and get their bills paid. Versus if it's long-term care insurance, it's guaranteed payments. They know that. So you. from the very beginning, a person who has long-term care insurance is going to have a higher priority than someone who just has good savings when it comes to getting a placement.
2: Yes. So, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't know if my parents had long-term insurance. I know my mother had nursing home insurance. Oh, now what's that? It's a form of long-term care insurance. Okay. In order for that to kick in, you need to be in a nursing home facility for 100 days for them to pay. You have to pay out-of-pocket after, I'm trying to think, 21 days. So, and those timeframes kind of, those time
1: frames coordinate with the supposed Medicare benefits that you can get for long-term right. care. Because if you fit the criteria... And if you are able to participate in ordered rehab or ordered skilled care, you can get Medicare to pay for up to 100 days of care, but you can't count on it. So most long-term care policies have a 100-day waiting period. You can pay for a rider. You can pay a slightly higher premium to not have that 100-day wait or 90 days in some cases. But most of them you will see a certain waiting period because they – the the long-term care insurance company is assuming there are going to be some other means of payment during the beginning.
0: Right. Okay. Now, Uh, when you say premiums, mm -hmm. what's a ballpark that we're looking at? I know everybody's is different, but what do uh, I, is it thousands? You're looking at thousands. I mean,
1: and I can't, I wish I could quantify it for you, but because there are different types and, and I don't pretend to be a long-term care insurance expert. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would, that would be a great show. <laughs> Let me make that suggestion. Yes, Sandy. okay. Make um, note. There are different types of policies. So, uh, there's something called a partnership policy where you're actually in partnership with New York State. So, with those types of policies, when your um, benefits under the long term care policy run out, you automatically qualify for Medicaid, regardless of what you have for assets that's kind of a nice option for a lot of families. Okay. You know, and so I'll be very honest. Sometimes people will call me and say, well, I'm talking to a long-term care insurance person and they told me I should call you and get my planning in order. And I say, well, great. Where are you in the process? Because sometimes they'll call and they say, I want to do asset protection planning. And I say, well, if you're meeting with the long-term care insurance person and you haven't done the underwriting, Let's do your basic planning and get it in place, but let's hold off on doing anything more until we know whether or not you can qualify for the insurance. Mm. Right. You don't you don't necessarily need belts and suspenders. OK. OK. Um, the non-partnership policies, I liken to a bucket of money. You you have a finite amount of benefits. And when they're gone, they're gone. But they allow you to stay independent in the community longer. You can pay for AIDS to come in. And then if you need a higher level of care, that's going to help you meet that daily rate at the assisted living or at the nursing home. So, and then within that, there's this whole universe where are you trying to get them the maximum dollar value that you can have? Or do you just want a policy that's going to help a little bit? Certainly, if you go out and get a policy that has $100 a day versus $350 a day, the premiums vary. So it's kind of like other insurance products in that it varies greatly. And now they have... Oh my gosh. Now they have um, New York is very highly regulated in case people didn't recognize that. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> Which sometimes in benefits no us, right? Most <laughs> well, of us are out in New York now. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to deal with um, this anymore. <laughs> you're yeah. right.
1: Yeah, most of us curse it, but in, in this instance it keeps a lot of subpar products out of the marketplace. Um But there are options now in New York where sometimes people don't want to look at long-term care insurance because they say, well, I'm paying into it I'm never going to use it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to lose all of that money. Mm -hmm. So now there are different types of what they call hybrid products where it's actually life insurance with a long-term care rider. So if you eat into the long-term care benefits, it just reduces what ultimately goes to your beneficiaries. So that's why you need to meet with someone who's specialized in, you know, selling long-term care policies and understanding that universe so that they can look at your situation, your income, and the assets you're trying to protect and see what's appropriate. Are
0: they unbiased though because they have a a mission to sell you a policy?
1: Some are better than others. Obviously, anyone who's in a service-based business, yes, we make our livelihood giving advice and those folks make their living selling products. But the better ones are out to educate you because they know you talk to your friends So they want to do the best job possible for you and get you a product that fits your lifestyle and your budget, Okay. frankly, you know, because if you find you've got to change your lifestyle to have this long-term care, what are you going to do? You're going to walk around and say, I can't believe I bought into that, Uh, you know? Jane Smith, she's the worst. She convinced me. So I I don't think that that's as much of a concern with that. Most of the people who do it tend to specialize in it. So they really... There, there's um, there's a component there. I can tell you that the person I refer to the most got into it because she went through this with her own parents.
0: And those are and, the individuals you want mm-hmm, to work right. with that have been, right. they've been there. They've, they've been walked there. The they're walk. a little bit more compassionate with Completely. you. Okay. So now, Lloyd, what are you doing different now with mom?
3: Well, uh, with my mom, I, I'm more focused on the planning for the long-term, knowing that I will likely still be um, in in my current uh, city, I'm not back at home. So, so that distance is yeah. The getting.
0: distance is hard. Is that hard too, Lisa? With a lot of with a lot of people, when you do have to that one day where you say, "Okay, mom, I got to take control over your finances." And it's heartbreaking because they were so smart and successful, and they raised you, and then you watch them making these silly mistakes or doing these things. We're like, mom, what are you thinking? Dad, what are you doing?" So you have to assume that responsibility. Mm -hmm. When there is the distance, what do you suggest?
1: In terms of keeping tabs on what's going on, that's another great opportunity to consider using a care manager because they have the ability to go in and do spot checks, so to speak, and visit and give you an independent opinion of how your loved one is being taken care of. But because of their training, they can actually have conversations with the doctors with the nurses and really keep tabs on your behalf and be that extra voice. So whether it's at the nursing home or if someone you love is in the community, they can go to doctor's visits with them and be that second set of eyes and ears in the room. I mean, depending on yeah, what, yeah, right. yeah. you know, they don't need to be there for the exam, but certainly for the consultation piece
0: and to make sure so, that everything is okay. right. Right. Now, Lori, when you were going through this,
2: what did you come out of it thinking, gosh, I wish somebody told me? Oh, there's so many things. I mean, with my mom, we really thought that we were in the clear with her because she was so sick. We weren't sure how long she would be with us. We thought financially we were okay because we did have the nursing nursing home rider. And my parents worked hard for all their life and they had the means to live their life the way they wanted to. And we did not know that they had to wait 100 days in order for their insurance to kick in. And my mother was in hospice. And when my father found out that after 21 days, he had to start paying for my mother to be in a bed, that was coming out of his pocket. He saw his life savings going day by day. And when you have somebody there that you love and you want cared for the way you want them to be cared for, and they're not getting the care that you want and expect, it was just shocking. So you have to remember that when you put someone in a nursing home, they're being taken care of, but it's not the way that you would do it yourself.
0: Well, it never really is,
2: right? I mean, they're wonderful people who work there, but nobody can care for your parents if you would. No, no. And it's just, it was just a, a reality check. Like we really felt we had all our ducks in a row and we didn't. No, you worked with Lisa. We did work with Lisa. Lisa was, she gave us a lot of knowledge, but we were working with Lisa a little too late because my mother was now in a nursing home when we were trying to get our power of attorney for my mother. And Okay, so let's talk about that. When you're in crisis mode, mm-hmm.
0: That's not the time to start planning. <laughs> Ideally, but... When do know. you think we should start this process? And let's talk about the power of attorney as well. Sure.
1: You know, the, the sage advice is that every adult over 18 should have a comprehensive power of attorney and healthcare proxy, maybe a well in place. The reality is most people don't even think to do it until you get a little bit older, you start acquiring assets and you start having kids. So I would say most of my clients start coming in. They're either doing it for little children or when we're talking about these situations, the seniors themselves are typically coming in because their financial advisor told them, you're retiring. You haven't looked at your will since your kids were little. Go talk to Lisa or another attorney. Um, And so then they're coming in and we're taking a look at the assets and saying, okay, here are the things that we need to focus on where it's very frustrating And upsetting to me as a professional is that, you know, any attorney in New York state or well, in any state, but any attorney can prepare a power of attorney for their clients. But when you're talking about Medicaid or asset protection planning, you need to make sure you're working with someone who actually understands the laws that apply and isn't just pulling something down off the Internet and putting your name on it. Because frequently people will call us in a crisis situation and say, All right, I heard I should come in and just review to make sure all my ducks are in a row. And I say, Great, I need to see the power of attorney. Yeah, we have a power of attorney, that's all set. And sadly, more often than not, we find out that it doesn't have the powers that it needs in it. In New York, we specifically have something called a statutory gifts rider. Um, And since 2009, I mean, 10 years almost now, since 2009, Whoever you name to manage things for you can't make gifts on your behalf of more than $500 total in a calendar year without that gifts writer being in place. Now, you can do it for yourself, but if you lose capacity, so that means even between spouses, they can't transfer assets. Certainly kids can't transfer anything to themselves, so it really ties your hands. It's meant to be a protective measure, but there are lots of attorneys out there who only do the bare bones power of attorney.
3: So and brilliant. families don't know.
1: They say I have a power of attorney. Yes, you do, but it doesn't have the authority you need if you're in a crisis situation. And we need to. So, you know, I'll use Lori's parents as an example. We need to get assets out of joint name and into her father's individual name so that we can apply for benefits for her mother. You know, mm-hmm. no one's hiding anything here. This is all legal. We need to put assets in dad's name. So that he can continue to live and pay for his expenses. Mom can't qualify to get any kind of help if it still looks like she has assets. But they're going to evaporate if we just keep paying out of the joint assets for more Mm -hmm. than a couple months. And now dad will be. Up a creek too, so to speak.
0: Exactly. So who do we, okay, so now let's, let's add to our notes. Who do we need to look for? How do we make sure that's the right power of attorney and we're going to the right person? Yeah,
1: you want to make sure that you're working with an elder law attorney. Okay,
2: so Lisa Powers. You call Lisa. <laughs> exactly. <No.
1: laughs> well, thanks, Sandy. I'm not alone. We have, you know, certainly within know. our community, we have wonderful
0: folks. I said um, that, Lisa did not. I said it. <laughs> but thank you. So, okay. Yeah. So elder law attorney, write that down. Okay, that's part of our list. Now, I hear these stories, and I, I think, Lori, you even mentioned this. You hear these stories of these individuals who are, quote, kicked out of the facility that they're mm-hmm. at. How does that happen? What happens there?
3: So, what should
0: we do to avoid that? And it comes up in different situations. Okay. So if we
1: if we talk about an example of someone who's in what I would call an independent living situation, right? So you're in one of the senior communities, and you're just paying your way. You have your own apartment or townhouse.
0: That independent community, forgive me, is the sure. same as assisted living, or no? No. Okay, so it's no. independent. Right. Then it goes to assisted. Right. Then it goes to full-blown nursing care.
1: Yes, and and within that whole range, you also have dementia care, or memory care, which okay. are often locked units. So. The the rule of thumb is that for the most part, if you're in that middle range, assisted living or memory care, most of those places, most of those beds, that's how they're referred to, are fully private pay. So you may need to be there, but as your assets dwindle, at a certain point you're not going to be able to pay for that care anymore. What will frequently happen is that if you're part of a community where there's a continuum of care with all of the levels. They'll look to see if as your money's running out, your care needs have changed to the point where you need to go to the nursing home. Because once you get to the nursing home, you can apply for Medicaid. So when you're, quote, independent, so if you're in your own home, whether that's your house, an apartment, you're on your own. No one else is providing the care for you from an entity. You could qualify for what's called community Medicaid. So you can get Medicaid to pay for in-home services. And there are different programs, but. The, the umbrella is considered community Medicaid. You're not in the nursing home. Okay. okay. So and we won't delve into all the yeah fine points. But so there's community Medicaid. There are a few, and, and of course the names are confusing, there are a few assisted living program beds in each county that are paid by Medicaid. But it's almost not worth talking about them because there are so few.
0: Ah, okay.
1: So it's one of those where I say, well, yes, there's sort of Medicaid at that level, but really, for most people, it doesn't exist. And then you have it at the nursing home level. So the time to really be talking about all of this and and looking at planning is when you do still have assets and you're just starting down that path, which, of course, if you've just received a diagnosis, you're completely overwhelmed dealing with the medical side of life. Mm -hmm. How do you find the time to then talk about finances and legal strategies? But to the extent you can. Or you've got someone in the family who you can kind of tap to be the point person to say, "Can you get the information? We know we have to be part of it. At least start the discussion, because then you can kind of step back in." You know, this type of planning certainly with folks who have a progressive um, illness or a dementia diagnosis, we tend to see them regularly. You know, I will, I am in touch with those families usually on an annual basis.
0: Is there a way, if you're going to pay privately, is there a way to protect your assets Mm -hmm. before they, because the way you're talking, Lori, we're going to be out of these assets before you know it. Like your parents, you thought, oh, okay, we have enough. We worked hard. We saved enough so we can privately pay. We're fine. The kids don't have to worry about it. But it's so costly that those, that money just goes away. It goes very quickly.
1: It does. So again, it's something that when you're meeting with the elder law attorney, They'll ask a lot of details about income sources, assets. It's very, um, it's invasive. So, and I know it's uncomfortable for a lot of folks, especially in our community. People are very private. Mm -hmm. You've never met me and I say to you, okay, I'm going to send you a multi-page questionnaire and ask you for every single thing that you own. (laughs) I want all of your personal information before you ever sit down across the table from me. And it's kind of like, what are you talking about? My own kids don't know what I have. I'm going to tell you, you, a complete stranger?
2: Chances are we don't know. The kids don't know. We don't. I still don't know everything that they have. So
1: that's a piece of it, too, where um, we always encourage families to say, look, you don't have to share every last little detail, but at least let your kids know where you keep the records in case something happens, you know, or let them know where you do your banking. If you have a financial advisor, invite them in to meet the financial advisor so they know who to call. Okay. I tell them my clients always have extra cards for me. You know, I'm never going to reach out to kids and just say, hey, how's it going? Unless I know them personally through another (laughs) means. But I'm happy if they have a question or something happens for them to call. And I say, of course, we'll jump in. So the idea behind asset protection planning is there are a lot of different strategies out there. What most people talk about are using trusts, irrevocable trusts.
0: Okay.
1: So. Do you ever go to a seminar and you're told that a living trust can protect assets? That's not true in New York.
0: Oh, okay, (laughs) Okay. not true. Fall prey to that, Lori Lloyd.
3: We had that with uh, my dad just at the end, um, but it wasn't there wasn't a whole ton left either. Yeah,
0: See again, there wasn't uh, a lot left. It just
3: goes it just goes away, and I I would I would piggyback off of one thing uh, that she said, where uh, she said that they don't have a relationship with the attorney necessarily maybe the the idea and, and the best bit of sound advice that i would give is this year for christmas introduce your parents to somebody that can do a durable power of attorney that can do uh, this planning now maybe that's the best gift you can give your parents at the same time you're giving it to yourself yeah. because it's it's a nightmare It, it it's not fun and if you go away thinking, I, I listened to what you say, Sandy, about your parents, because I see my, my my grandfather doing the same thing. And it's a nightmare when you're trying to catch up at the end. Plan better in the future, plan better before it happens.
0: How much do you have to disclose, continuing the, the, the thought of the assets and how to protect your assets, and you said a trust is the way to go, but how much do you have to disclose to the whichever care whichever level you're at most places
1: will have their own questionnaire everyone's a little bit different in terms of what they ask for uh, for income assets certain levels of care you can get some assistance through the va i'm going to leave it at that but they'll ask if you're a veteran or your spouse is a veteran okay i always recommend that you tell them everything because again especially if you're looking at nursing home level care, if you hedge your bets and try to play coy and not reveal everything, and there's someone else who's vying for that same placement, and they've got long-term care insurance and significantly more in assets that are liquid, guess who's going to get the placement? And you were just trying to protect your privacy.
0: Oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Okay, So, so when you say it's not just liquid assets, though, you have to disclose, it's Everything from every vehicle to the house well, to the furniture? they're not so worried about, no, no. Okay. They're,
1: they're really, you know, when you look at these communities, they have to pay their staff. They're highly regulated, right? It is a business, even though we don't like to think of it that way. So they're looking to see, do you have assets that can be liquidated easily to pay your bill, right? You might have out-of-state real estate. That really doesn't make you look attractive to them because it's not liquid,
0: Okay,
1: And under the Medicaid rules, IRAs are considered exempt assets as long as you're taking your minimum required distributions. So the admissions directors and the finance folks know that they can't ask you to liquidate an IRA. So whether your IRA has $15,000 or $500,000, all they can look at is the income that's generated from it.
0: Which is a big mistake a lot of people make, right, you said? Yes. In the past,
1: people liquidate (laughs) their IRAs, right? Right. So that's that's the other thing I would say write down if you are writing anything down. If crisis hits, very often the first person that people call is their financial planner, right? You've been working with this person. They've been trying to help you save for this rainy day. Well, long-term care, medical expenses, right? They offset income. So sadly, what a lot of uninformed advisors... and, and Let's be honest, I'm not faulting them. Their world is not to advise on Medicaid law. They're not attorneys, they're advisors and they're working with money. They will say, well, you've got this big medical expense coming up, let's take the money out of your IRA. So sadly, I have had a number of occasions over the last 20 years where clients haven't even called me until a massive IRA has been fully liquidated. Mm -hmm. And then when they come into me and I say, well, are there any IRA assets? And they say, no, it's gone. And I say, oh, that would have been exempt. And they say, wait, you mean that $300,000 didn't have to be spent? And I say, no. Wow. So don't touch the IRA until the very end, other than those minimum required distributions that have to come out.
0: Okay. And the trust, you said, going back, I don't know if you finished your thought on well, the trust.
1: the idea behind a trust is that it's different for everyone, we will always run very specific numbers. If it First, we look to see if it's appropriate for the family to okay. create and fund an irrevocable trust. It's not appropriate for every family, right? So Sometimes people are too far gone in terms of their medical condition. We, we anticipate that they're going into the nursing home very quickly. We want them to have as much available as possible in their own name, right, so that they're attractive to get in. So I wouldn't recommend it in every situation, but... If it's appropriate, then we run numbers to see how much makes sense to go into that trust.
0: And when you say what goes into the trust, Mm -hmm. you mean the house and liquid assets?
1: Sometimes both. Very often, I would say more often than not in our area, what goes in is real estate because it won't change how you're living. I don't like to recommend that we lock up those liquid assets. Again, because if you need to apply and go into a nursing home, they want to see that you have liquid assets. So I would never want to do anything that would harm your chances of being in the best possible place other than your own home
0: because you can't get that out of the trust unless mom right. or dad passes or whoever right passes in very right.
1: specific situations. So okay, so it is it's it's definitely a complex issue, but it can be managed.
0: Now, a lot of and I don't know Lloyd and and Lori if you dealt with this, but a lot of parents rather have, Uh, the ability to stay at home and have the aides come in. They don't even, they want to bypass this whole thing altogether. Yep. How practical
2: is that really? Depending on their mobility. My dad was recently sick and was in a nursing home for rehab. And he was worried because he was going past the 21 days where he would have to pay out of pocket. And he just kept begging us, can you please just take me home? just take me home. And we're like, dad, it's not safe to have somebody in your home to take care of your parent. You need to rely on them 24 seven. And you're having a stranger come into your home. You have to be guaranteed that they are reliable, that they're going to be there at their appointed time. Because if they're not there, what are you going to do? Who are you going to get to fill in that spot? Are you taking the time off of work? so that you can go in and take care of them? Are you physically able to, to help your parent go to the bathroom if they're a, a two-assist or a one-person assist? Are you able to do that? I mean, we're all able to prepare a meal for your parent and help them eat. But when it comes to making them mobile, is your house safe? Mm. Do you have a step or two? Are they able to get up that step or two? Do they have uh, the bars in the bathroom to help them get up off of the commode? Those little There's you know. little things that, yeah, we would love to have you come home, but is your home safe for them?
0: Now to pay for this, Lisa, is there any kind of insurance that will help? That's one of those situations where
1: it kind of runs the gamut. In terms of the at-home service, if you're being... If you've been in the hospital and you've been discharged, there's typically a limited Medicare availability for aides coming in who are providing skilled care, like therapy, right? Mm. But if you need someone who's going to come in and help with what are called activities of daily living, toileting, showering, you know, that will often end up just being private pay unless you've got the long-term care insurance. We have long-term care insurance, it's great. That's an ideal way to use
0: it. Because oh, so it keeps that's you another reason why we should look yes. into
1: long-term care right. insurance. Precisely. It helps keep you home and covers those aids. But the long-term care insurance is just a payment mechanism. You still have all of the issues that Lori was talking about in terms of what if an aide doesn't show up. You know, The agencies who provide them have a duty to do the background checks and make sure that they're not putting someone who's unqualified um, in your home and, and who has a decent background where you wouldn't be worried that they're going to come in and take something. But if they if they have a child who's sick, if they get in a car accident or their car won't start, you end up being the backup. Right.
0: What is it that, that I heard that you can get paid from? Is it Medicaid mm-hmm. or Medicare if you it's, are a
1: loved one? Taking remember care? I said there's this whole umbrella of what we would call community Medicaid and there are different options. There's one called the consumer-directed. Program. And with that, you can qualify for Medicaid and then you quote train your own aides. I shouldn't say quote. You train your own aides. So it can be a friend or a family member who steps in who isn't hired by the agency. But that's when you get to Medicaid level. That's Medicaid. Which you said. That's pretty. Then you have to either you already qualify because you're impoverished. Um, for this year in New York State, there's some exceptions but you can't have more than $15,450 Turn
0: in your name? name. Right. Does this include real
1: estate and everything else? It, your house is exempt. Oh, a car, okay. a car is exempt. So if you have a couple cars in your name, only one is exempt and you can have a prepaid burial account. Other than that, and your personal property doesn't come in. They don't ask you what you have for furniture and jewelry and such. But other than that. And remember I said IRAs are exempt, but your liquid savings your, you know, and if you have cash inside a life insurance policy, we have lots of folks in our community who paid into life insurance, you know, from the time they started working. And so they don't think about it. They're holding on to it to pay for burial expenses someday, but they may have $10,000 or more sitting inside a life insurance policy that they've okay. forgotten about. It counts towards that 15000
0: Okay. So that almost is off the table. Almost. Almost. You, you've got to jump through a few hoops, but so that that's where it's important
1: to have these conversations and see what your options are.
0: So this has been so much information and I know, and you're listening to this like, oh my gosh, I'm on overload right now. (laughs) Information overload. But I think this is one of those podcast episodes that we're going to listen back to and we're going to take new notes every time. One final piece of advice, if we could go around the room and just give one final piece of advice, Lori, what would,
2: what would you say? Plan ahead sooner. Okay. Do it when you're at a younger age. I would say, have your parents do it in their fifties. Prepare ahead. I guess you say parents in your fifties, you're, you're I, pretty
0: much looking around the room. Yeah. You're I mean, that.
2: <laughs> yeah, right now we should prepare. Jeez. Okay. Lori, what would you say?
3: I would, I would echo her thoughts and I would say plan ahead. And I would say that I'm in my mid to late 30s, and I'm planning. So I think that we need to plan to take that burden off of our children. The, the spring bring
0: chicken in the room. I forgot exactly. how young yeah. you were, Lloyd. <laughs>
3: yeah. well, You're just hanging you out
0: the old ladies here. I'm <laughs> <laughs> in the nursing home right now. <laughs> All right. All
1: right, Lisa? Um, I would agree, and I would just add to that, once you've done the initial plan, revisit it every three to five years. Three to five, okay. Three to five. Um, you know, depending on who the attorney is that you've worked with, you know, we, this is the only time I'll say, come see us. We build it into our planning fees that we'll sit down with you every few years.
0: Oh, wait, that's a good question. So. Elderly law attorneys, how do they bill? What what, what should we be asking to make so. sure they're a good attorney?
1: Well, what you want to find out—it's not so much about the billing because people will have different billing practices. Okay. But what you want to find out is if they say they're an elder law attorney, what are their affiliations? How long have they been practicing? Have they done Medicaid applications in the past? Okay. And how successful have they been with those applications? Okay. You know, what's your track record? Do you get your clients approved? Do you have to go to fair hearings?
0: Okay. (laughs) You know. So wonderful. Lisa Powers from Harris Beach, Elder Law Attorney, Lori Lloyd. Thank you all so, so much. Thank you. I know that was a lot of information. This is one of our longer episodes, but a lot of really important information. So I really hope that helps you. If you need any more advice in regards to this, Feel free to reach out, sandy at rochesterbuzz.com. Next week on the podcast, we are going to help you create your personal brand. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, I don't need a personal brand. I work a nice corporate job. Or maybe you think the idea of having a well-defined brand is more for the entrepreneur. I used to think the same thing. But nope, we all need to have a well-defined brand personal brand because it makes us more marketable, more employable. God forbid something happens at your current job and you're let go. And we are going to hold your hand and walk you through the entire process next week on the Seven Figures podcast. All right. You have a fantastic weekend. If you are a mom, happy Mother's Day to you. I hope you get pampered and you're able to enjoy your day. And now we raise our glass and say, cheers to being financially confident women if you
1: have a personal finance question or feedback about the show we'd love to hear from you you can reach out to sandy at sandy at rochesterbuzz.com new episode every friday listen subscribe and tell a friend about the seven figures podcast smart money strategies for women